Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Stories of Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And all you got to know is this, two-time Hall of Famer, five-time, 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 five-time WCW champion. He is simply King Booker! <laughs> What's going on, guys? <laughs> hey, Bunk, brother. It's so great. We should have been taping before the show, man. We should have <laughs> hit the button. <laughs> Hey, some of our favorite moments are, you know, trying to get these things set up. Uh, John and I, you know, we're, we're both in probably you two. Such mark for staying handsome. We finally got Stan to okay this, you know, that he would come on. It took us weeks to finally get him to say, yes, I will. <laughs> and so we're having the same issue trying to get on. And then he calls his wife, and, of course, she faces it, and we hear her say, Stan, I thought you said you weren't going to do any these things anymore. Well, it's Briscoe and Bradshaw. What am I going to tell them? You know, <laughs> I'm going to do this one last one. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to have you on, Booker. You, you've been a hero of mine. I, I, I get puts a smile on my face every time I get to talk to such a positive person like you. And we couldn't thank you more for being on Briscoe and Bradshaw show. Hey, man, I appreciate you guys having me. And uh, my wife told me to tell you hi, too. Awesome, uh, Queen Charmel. She told her, told her, tell me hi, not you. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, she was worried you're going to tell her about your stupid sandhill birds, whatever. The <laughs> and you know what? She'll smile and shake her head and say, "That's a oh, great story, Mister Mitchell." <laughs> <laughs> Queen Charmel is the best. You know, you know what's amazing? Book was you had this great career, Hall of Fame career, and then at the end of it. You got to be King Booker with Queen Charmel. That that was awesome. You know what, man? Um, I, I really believe that was the, the happiest part of my career. I really believe that. Uh, I remember uh, me and Charmel one time we were in um, Chicago or something. Not Chicago. Um, I can't remember where we were, man. But when you got a woman 
that's down, ride or die. Um, it, we had about five hours before we had to catch a flight. And um, we could have went to, to the hotel uh, and got a hotel, uh, or we could have just slept in the car. And Charmel said, baby, just, let's just sleep in the car tonight. <laughs> you know? so I was like, man, this is the one, man. Yeah. No, I, I remember um, having to, you know, you know how it is after you finish a match and you got to drive 200 miles um, down the road. Um, man, those rides are always tough, tough, tough times. Um, but Charmel always made it a point. She was my point person. She would always make sure she would, you know, take the wheel and make sure she got me there safe. It was a partnership. It was, and you know, we've been together now over 20 years, um, married 17. And that's wow. been a, it's been a hell of a ride, man. And, and, and I, I said at the Hall of Fame, I say I do a thousand times, and and I and, I, and that's true, man. I, I'm serious about that. You're a lucky man, Booker. I, I, you don't have her as, as as your partner, as your manager, as queen. That's a really unique story how that was set up because you were on the verge of just taking some time off, and Vince talked to you, and Vince has that convincing uh, delivery that he always gets. He always <laughs> finds something that you're going to buy. And and you guys come up with it. Tell us that story. How that? Yeah, got. man. I was actually. Uh, I was. I was. I was. I was at that point um, to where I was like, it's time for me to slow down. And me and Charmel, we had just got married, and um, I went through a divorce. And and I know what it's like being on the road, having just say, for instance, a family. So I said, man, I want to take a step back. And I told Vince, and um, I was, you know, going to take a step back from the company. And he was like, you know, why would you want to do that? You know, and I was like, you know, I think it's, you know, be best for my relationship. Um, you know, just getting married and whatnot. And, you know, and uh, and uh, he was like, well, uh, why don't we just hire Charmel? <laughs> <laughs> I go in to quit. And he ended up talking about hiring Charmel. And I was like, you know, that that kind of like solved the whole problem. Uh, but but I tell you, I did not imagine it working out the way it did. Um, the, the King Booker um, thing, I think that evolved because of Charmel um, being former Miss Black America, um, as well as being my queen. I call Charmel, I always called her my queen um, in front of all of my friends. She's my queen. So I think they thought, you know, why don't we do the king of the ring and make Booker the king and, you know, have the king and queen. I, but And I give her I give her all the credit for making that happen. Um, and, and, and I tell you this, I couldn't have been um, the king that I was without Queen Charmel. It wouldn't have never worked out. She was the best right-hand person I've ever seen. She sold everything. She would sit there, her expression, she never quit working. The, every time she's on camera, she was outstanding in that you role. Know, you know what, though, Judd? Um, you got to add a, a third person to that list as well, uh, which is yourself. Um, you, you, you literally sold the King Booker character to where people had to actually believe it. Um, you, you made made it real, um, not just to the, the listeners, but to my, myself. You made me feel like, wow, is that is he talking about me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is Charmel the Queen of Sheba? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I had so much fun. Yeah. Anytime Michael Cole would say something, I'd say, shut up, peasant. Listen, <laughs> listen to the King. Booker, to me, that's what makes makes it our business so unique because it, there, there's just a team. There's, there's such a large team. It's not just the two people or the three or four people in the ring. You know, it's those camera guys out there. It's the commentators like John 
that picks up on the little things because you guys had, had such a past history, you know, starting out together in, in Dallas and all that stuff. So it's a team. So when to to recognize that, it to me it is awesome on your end of it. It shows you what kind of unselfish person you really are. You know, I talk to my young guys, um, my my students, and, and I always, you know, ask them the question. You know, what, what's your what's your thought process when you're in the ring? And you know, they always give me the wrong answer, and I always, you know, come back to, you know, it's never about you um it's about those fans that's watching it's about how good you can make your opponent and how good your opponent can make you um for that common goal going out here shakespeare romeo and juliet phantom of the opera encore bravo that's what we're looking for and it takes a, a multitude of uh characters playing their roles in order to make that happen you know it's funny booker because i was looking at some stuff today getting ready for the interview and your run in wcw was hall of fame worthy by itself but that was almost pure wrestling. You know, you, you had some character, but then all of a sudden you come to WWE and you have the most incredible, some of the most incredible moments. And that's probably what people are going to remember you for. Not the great matches that you had, but the moments with Stone Cold, the moments coming out with Queen Charmelle, the moments with Goldust. I mean, that's what draws people in is the drama. You know, you know, Brad, what's crazy is, it's funny you bring that up uh, because, Nobody never mentions my wrestling. Nobody, you know, <laughs> I'm serious. You know, a lot of people, people actually have said that I was just a mediocre wrestler. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I'm serious. You know, and the thing is, I, I knew how good I was in, in the ring. And I knew um, in WCW, I was the ultimate wrestler. Um, but I knew when I, I came to w, WWE, um, first thing they did with me was put me in a position where it was all about character building. Let's see exactly how good of an entertainer this guy could be. And um, with wrestling, that's what it is. It's not UFC. It's not boxing. It's professional wrestling. And it's to be embellished. It's what we make it. Um, so when I got a chance to, you know, get that blank canvas and make something out of it, like Booker T and Stone Cold in a grocery store, I say, man, this is this is this is magic. Or oh, me and Gold Dust. Oh man, I can do something wow. with this. I was always looking at to make whatever I had as good as I possibly could make it. So for me, man, you know, oh man, that's what I miss, I think, more than anything. Isn't that amazing though? Like Stone Cold was <laughs> a great wrestler. I mean, world class. But when he became the big star, it was all about Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, the character. And here you have you and Steve, two of the best wrestlers of all time, just pure wrestlers. And what you're known for is a grocery store fight. That was 20 years ago this week. That's what exactly what I'm talking about. Wow. You got Stone Cold Steve Austin, who's a legitimate badass, okay? Yeah. You, got, you know, you got Booker T. But you know, I'm pretty tough myself, two Texas boys. But we were we were able to go out and entertain um not just the fans, but entertain ourselves, um, knowing what this business really and truly is. Without those moments, I don't think it would be called professional wrestling. I really don't. Um, it would be called something else. Uh, you know, uh, sports entertainment, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, that grocery Imagine store, that. <laughs> the grocery store where you locked Steve in the butcher's cooler or wherever it was, and he comes through the milk. That was one of the greatest. It was so good. All ad lib too. All ad lib. I say if we were to if 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 it was two guys to try to pull that thing off today, they would have a script that was five pages. They would have five to eight camera 
guys. They would have, you know, a rehearsal day um, that would go for eight hours. <laughs> and they'll still go out and get it wrong. <laughs> and, and still be there doing it, probably. Uh, no, we'll kind of kind of walk us through this. I, I kind of know that was a Bakersfield or Fresno? Which was one? Baker, was Bakersfield. Ba- Bakersfield. Bakersfield, California. I remember Bruce Pritchard and I talking about it. I thought, hey, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, because I did a lot of the hardcore matches. I said, you got two of the best guys there. So he says, I'm just going to take them and turn them loose. So I understand it took you to the grocery store. And you guys looked at Bruce. Well, what are we doing? Well, we got eight. We got 10 minutes. Less than a game. Well, what can we do? destroy the store? And you guys both looked. Okay, you want us to destroy this store or something like that? Walk us through that that day there, walk. Yeah, man, that's what I mean. Uh, you know, we got there. Um, it was not like um, you know, something that, you know, a movie production or anything like that. It was just two guys, uh, a, a grocery store, a blank canvas. What do you want us to do? Um, oh, okay, um, this is what we're gonna do. Um, Stone Cold pretty much looked at the situation. I knew I was in a situation where I was gonna be taking the brunt uh, of the ass whooping, um, uh, <laughs> more so. So in a situation like like that, for me, um, I just gotta know how to follow very, very well. So I left it up to Steve, and then that's that's a good match. He'll you know call in the match, and you know good babyface is gonna gonna follow him, and, and a good babyface listens very well. Man, he can look better than he could ever make himself look. Trust me, I work steamboat, and uh, he made me look better than I could ever make myself look. Trust me. So with Steve, I just followed Steve Lee. Um, everything that Steve came up with that out of his mouth was ad libbed. Nothing was written down, and. Um, I just, you know, thought as a little kid, um, when I was getting a whooping by my mama, I, I was going to be crying. And, and that's what I remember more than anything um, at the end of that thing where I'm rolling off the, the little belt there, you know, by the cashier. And I roll all the way to the floor and I go, I'm going to get you, man. I'm going to get you. And I'm crying when I say it, you know. <laughs> so for me, it was all about. You know, the payoff, Steve Austin had been chasing me for, you know, quite some time. And he finally found me in that grocery store. So for me, um, that's what, you know, I love about this business, being able to go out and perform, entertain and leave those memories to our fans 20 years later. Say, man, that was awesome. That's what I think that's what we're in this business for. You know what's funny is it's like the the, the fat kid when you play dog pile when you're like in set, you know seventh grade he's always at the bottom yelling get off get off get off you know oh and it's like the one kid is like I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get you it's just and there's nothing more fun than playing that role and, and being that character it's just it's because when you get into it it's it's really fun to be part of you know I've always been able to laugh at myself. I've always been able to go out and take this thing and and, and have fun with it. Um, I tell people, I used to work for a living. I stopped working when I was 25 years old, when I got into the wrestling business. And it's been, been such a joy to be able to go out and do what we do. And, and not that I haven't taken it serious every day. Um, I've, I've always looked at this as my job. That's why we're still doing it today. Um, I've never looked at myself like people look at me. I don't look at myself like I'm a star in anything like that. For me, I'm just going to work. And um, ever since we were in global, um, John, um, way back in the day, that's the only way I've looked at this thing is I'm going to work. And sometimes I got uh, the joke is going to be on me at work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Vogue Booker, you brought up global there. You, you said you first met John. Uh, uh, would, would he, was you already in the business a little bit when John walked into that door and sported to him there? Or how did, how did, how did you meet John the first time? When, when you saw this long, tall Texan, what what did you think? It's, this kid's got it. Justin Hawk Bradshaw. You said uh, it right. Justin Hawk. <laughs> no, man, you could tell this that kid was, you know, had the, the potential to be a star immediately. Um, even watching him as Justin Hawk Bradshaw, um, he was different. Um, I, I had been in the business uh, uh, a very short time before I came to Global, um, maybe a, a year, not even a year before I came to Global. And um, we met. And I tell you, John was one of those guys to where, you know, if if you didn't know him, you might not like him. Hey, really? Oh, if, you know him, if you know him, you might not like him. <laughs> <laughs> if you know him, you might not like him. <laughs> That's right. That's true, too. <laughs> but, but, uh, he, he's a, he's a, he's straight, he's always, he, he was always straight up. He was always uh, in your face and um, tell it like it is. Just a man's man. Um, I could take that. Um, just because that's the way I was. I was always, you know, talking crap. I was always willing to say, you know, how good I was or how tough I was. And in this business, you got to be like that. And, and John always portrayed that. He always, um, you know, walked that way. Not that he was uh, someone that was... Uh, irritating and getting on everyone's nerves. But if, but if you was that one that was um, not willing to, 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 to come on board and be a part of this, you might've gotten um, a little bit a uh, flack from John as well as myself, um, but just maybe from a different perspective. And um, we clicked from day one, all the way from, wow. you know, Japan, all the way um, to Korea, all the way up here to the United States, man. And um, never uh, imagined in a million years, um, you know, we would be, um, you know, as close as we are this many years later, man. Um, we've, we've gone through the trenches together. You know, you guys. So much fun. We were in Japan together and uh, Bobby Duncan, uh, Bobby Duncan Jr., Bobby Duncan's kid was there. And Booker gave Bobby so much trouble. Bobby started four years at the University of Texas. And in those four years, they never beat Oklahoma. So Booker kept reminding Bobby about Bobby Duncan. And at one point, we're either in the middle of Japan or Korea or whatever else. Bobby says, pull this bus over. I wish I had my football pads. And Booker goes, oh, you got to have pads to fight me? Now Bobby really <laughs> And I'm just laughing. It's so funny. Booker loved oh, – Bobby, Bobby loved Booker. But all oh, Booker getting under his skin about those four years he lost to Oklahoma. <laughs> I love Bobby too, man. He was a good dude, man. He was really a good dude. You know, the great. You know, we, went, we were in Korea. That's when uh, Lee Wan Pyo. Oh, uh, oh my God. Spinner Rooney from Booker. The promoter there, Jerry, told Booker to teach him how to do the Spinner Rooney, and he stole it from him. <laughs> <laughs> he started doing it. <laughs> Booker. Go ahead. So that so the Spinner Rooney come up, come about way before WWE days, in right? Because yeah. tell tell us about the origination. I I I, I was doing some research on on you. on you, and I saw you took a clothesline from one of the signers or somebody, and you you did the Spinner Rooney out yeah. of it, and all actually, of a sudden, I moved actually, with Let me tell you how the Spinner Rooney really became uh, 
a part of, you know, my, my stick. And I really realized it, it had a whole lot of power. Um, just that one move. Um, my brother and I, we made our debut in the Global Wrestling Federation. And we were working uh, these two guys. Uh, and what was their names? I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know why I can't remember these guys' names. Um, but um, it was an eye-opening experience. Um, I'm, I grew up in Texas. I was born in Louisiana. Um, and I never dealt with racism a whole lot coming up as a kid or anything like that. Of course, I, I knew about it. Of course, I saw it. Of course, it was there in my face. Um, but I, I just it just never had hit me like it had hit me um, on this night, uh, our debut in, in Dallas, Texas. And just a 250-mile ride from Houston. Uh, and I was like, wow, it seemed like I was in a, in a different country being in the sportatorium. And, and my brother and I, we got called everything that night we got called the N word. We got called everything you could possibly name. And, um, we were in the ring. My, my, my brother-in-law was taping it. He had a, one of those old camcorders and he was taping it. And, uh, you could hear everybody talking crazy and saying bad things. And I did the spit a Rooney and this one redneck was by my brother-in-law. He said, Oh my God, what was that? <laughs> and, uh, and literally it was only about 150 people in the arena that night and from that 150 people it grew to you know two to three thousand people a week and everybody in that arena was ebony experience ebony experience they had become huge fans and i just saw how you know one move could change a whole people uh, to look at you a totally different way, not to look at your race, but look at your talent. And I was like, wow. And the night we left the Sportatorium on our way to WCW, the whole crowd was in the, in the, in the, in the parking lot. And, and so many people cried when we left that night. It was amazing. Wow. So that's what, that's what the Spinner Rooney taught me, man. It just taught me the power of, you know, um, don't fight back, you know, sometimes with your hands, you know, just go out and uh, deliver, you know, and maybe that'll work. Jerry, it was unbelievable. By the time I got there, it was shortly after uh, Booker and Stevie Ray debuted. Those guys were over like like three birds of the Von Erics. I mean, they, they drew the houses. You know, we, I don't know what the sport term held, 2,500, 3,000, but it was full. And when the wow. Ebony Experience came out, hey, well, that place was – it was like a free – it was like a free birds. I mean, the place was absolutely rocking. Those guys drew money. It really was unbelievable. I mean, I never really realized, you know, um, you know what we had until we had it. And um, those fans at the Sportatorium, I tell you, man, um, I go back and I look at some of those matches, uh, some of those global tapes, and uh, I go, wow, man, it's amazing that we, we created something there. And, and it, it lasted. It lasted, you know, until this day right now, seriously. And you and Stevie Ray really didn't have that much experience when you, when you went there, right? I mean, <laughs> we had zero experience when we first went and actually a uh, hot stuff Eddie Gilbert actually um, wanted to take a look at my brother and uh, my brother you know I knew he was going to Dallas and I knew he was going to get looked at so I said you know maybe I'll ride with him so I rode with him and uh, uh, actually walked into the meeting with my brother and met hot stuff Eddie Gilbert and uh, hot stuff goes uh, who's that guy you know and he goes well that's my brother you know and he goes well you know, we're looking for a, a tag team, you know, and have you guys ever tagged before? You know, we, we go, yeah, but we hadn't ever tagged before. 
<laughs> and uh, he goes, okay, cool. Uh, we're going to, uh, you know, uh, get you guys in, uh, you know, come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to make let you guys debut. Uh, the Ebony Experience, you're going to be Stevie Ray. I like your name, Booker T. That's, that's great. All right, great. We came back uh, the next two weeks uh, for our debut uh, in, in Dallas. And uh, we was like, you know, Eddie, he had this big angle set up for us. We were going to wear suits. We were going to be this, that, whatnot, and the other. And we came looking for Eddie and uh and, and some guy told us, Eddie got fired. We're out Exactly. So uh, our big debut got, got turned into a tryout. <laughs> but, but, but it worked out for us. And uh, we, be, uh, we became something there, uh, the Ebony Experience, definitely. Who was the booker then when Eddie, when Eddie got fired? Man, uh, was it Akbar? Uh, no, or no, Mike Davis. Uh, Mike Davis. Mike Davis was the booker. Yeah, yeah. Maniac Mike Davis. Maniac Mike Davis. One of my biggest supporters, man. God rest his soul. Maniac Mike Davis was a guy who was pushing to get my brother and I, you know, in the big leagues. You know, well before we ever knew we had talent to make it to that point, man. So I, 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 I give a whole lot of credit to a guy like Maniac Mike Davis for helping. Um, as well as James Beard, um, yeah, no. you know, a guy who first got me to Japan in a career, you know. So, so I, I tell you, man, um, there was a lot of guys back there, back then, um, working for us to help us get to that next level. Because a lot of times you you need that in order to make it to the next level. You may have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have somebody, you know, working right. for you, you know, it, it may it may not ever happen for you. NLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. There's never been a better time to refinance than right now. With real estate being so hot, your house could be worth more than ever. SaveWithConrad.com can help you use that new equity to pay off your credit cards or get rid of your PMI, saving you thousands. Interest rates are still at historic lows, but experts expect the rates to rise next year. Let SaveWithConrad.com get you the best rate you've ever had and save thousands. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and you won't make another payment until next year. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. Booker, uh, where did uh, Scott Casey come in? I was talking to Scott a couple of nights ago and told him we were going to have you on the, on, the, on the show. And he said, man, I love Booker. Please tell him hello for me. Scott so. Casey, um, um, oh, Ivan Pusky opened a wrestling school um, in 1990. And uh, uh, Scott Casey was one of the trainers there um, that he had brought in. Um, I got a chance to spend, you know, a couple of, you know, just... <laughs> The school actually, you know, uh, it was a, oh, they had an awesome school. It was in like the, the high rent district. You know, I mean, we had and we had the performance center before the performance center. And um, and it was like, man, uh, this is awesome. And uh, Scott Casey, he came in and I worked with Scott for about two months. Um, and, and the school pretty much closed down after that. <laughs> but Scott Casey was that guy who taught me professional wrestling wasn't wrestling. Okay. He taught me the little bitty things, um, as far as what this meant and what that meant. Um, he got me on the right track before I ever took a bump as far as mentally, um, how, how wrestling is, is, and, and, and what, what wrestling is as far as everything is bigger than life. Um, and I go, wow, you know, just like throwing a punch, just like taking a, a turnbuckle, you know, um, you know, taking a clothesline, you know, it's, it's, it's what we make it. That's what he taught me more than anything. So that thought process put me in the thought press process of the movies that I watch. I wasn't a sports guy. I was, I didn't play football. I didn't, you know, do basketball or anything like that. I was a dancer. I watched movies. So it made me think about stuff that I related to 
to bring it into the wrestling business and it worked perfectly for me. I, I, like I said, I never played sports, um, but when I used to watch wrestling, I knew the good ones from the bad ones. I knew the guys who were, you know, working at the top of the card. I knew exactly what it took um, to actually get, get there. So I studied that um, when I got into the business. You know, and the good thing was in the Sportatorium, you had some great characters there to learn from. You know, oh, Black man. Bart, uh, one, of the, one of the best guys on the planet, but and, and one of the funniest. <laughs> but what a great worker. He and Akbar. I mean, those guys and John, uh, Johnny Mantel, those guys were really good at what they were doing with Maniac Mike Davis. She had a bunch of older guys that were really good at hey, what man, they were doing. Let's not forget uh, Manny Fernandez. You know, what a great worker. One of the greatest Mandy. workers that ever put on a pair of boots. Um, yeah, John, John Tatum. Let's give John Tatum, you know, a little love because I remember the first time I worked with John Tatum, I learned a whole lot from him. Uh, I went up to him, I go, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Tatum. <laughs> yeah. Tatum was awesome. He was a heat-getting son of a gun boy. I say, I say, what do you want to do in this match? And he goes, just flop, kid. <laughs> I go, okay. I knew exactly what to say to the kid that was going to be bumping for me coming up soon. <laughs> you know, what amazed me was, you know, Rod, Rod Price was champion a lot during that time. And I always thought Rod was going to be a guy that was going to go on. And, and he never really... You know, I don't, for whatever reason, never really went anywhere else. But he was he was a mainstay there at the Sportatorium and did a great job as champion. Rod Price, uh, let's let's let, got to mention uh, one of the originals down there, gorgeous Gary Young. Um, <laughs> yes. When I, when I when I when I see um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I see a spitting image of gorgeous Gary Young. He stole everything. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, just, let's just put that out there. I'm serious. Oh, that's no joke, bro. Hey, and the most miserable person on the planet, Wild Bill Irwin. Bill oh, Irwin is, is one of the best guys in the world, uh, Scott Irwin's brother. And Bill, no matter what happened, I don't care if we're sold out, I go, Bill, how's the house? It can be sold out. Ah, big money. <laughs> I loved him, man. I love working with him, man. He's, he was he's, a working son of a gun. Oh, man. He was one of the guys that I sat under the learning tree and watched this guy go out and perform at a high level in every organization that he's been in. Um, so for me, um, being around guys like that, I got the perfect um, – tutelage as far as coming up, being able to, you know, peek around the curtain and watch these guys, like you say, a black Bart go out there and do, uh, the ultimate heel, the ultimate heel, black Bart, yeah. um, um, go out there and do their work, man. I, I, I was told when I got to WCW, they, um, um, you know, they would send everybody to the power plant when, when you get to WCW. And I, and I went to the, I went to the WCW power plant the first time and a um, little guy by the name of um, Buddy Lee Parker, he was making guys throw up. It was like boot, it was like boot camp in there. And uh, I told him immediately, I cannot do this. Okay. I'm not, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. I say, but I've been working for the last two years with some of the best workers in, in the business. I say, put me in the ring with anybody right now. And I, I show you I can work. <laughs> I never went back to the power plant after that. <laughs> I'm serious. Because I have been working with the best workers in the world. I, and I, and I'm, I'm, I, I stand by that. Some of the yeah. best workers in the oh, world yeah. back then um, I was working under. And I knew that I was ready for whatever they put me in, put in front of me. Seriously. You know, the only thing we learned uh, in Japan was how to get hit by a chair really hard. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, my God. Gary, 
Kendo Nagasaki, Mr. Sakurai. Oh, yeah. All he would do is hit you with a chair about 30 times a match. Booger, 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 we're in the dress room. And Kendo had wore me out with a chair. I mean, I mean, wore me out with a chair that night. And Booger T is sitting there. He's going, he says, you know, I'm one half of them the experience. People don't hit me with a chair like they hit you. He goes, you, they may hit you, but they don't hit me. So I said, all right, we'll see you tomorrow. Anyway, <laughs> Kendo grabs a chair. Booker kicks him in the stomach, takes the chair from him, looks back at me at the, at the curtain, and he turns around, and Kendo takes the chair from him and hits him about 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, Booker looked up and goes, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> I, 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 said I, gonna, I said he wasn't going to get me with that chair. I took it from him, too. I was there, you did? I was I was the only one to do that. You weren't the only one to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember beating the, beat the hell out of Alex Porto with that. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I thought he killed him. So I was like, oh, that's not happening to me, bro. That's not <laughs> happening to me. You can forget about it. You know, so I think I got my respect that night. <laughs> oh, Kendall loved it. Kendall thought it was great. Kendall just he he loved to hit potato people, but he loved to get potatoed back. He just loved to hit people with chairs and get hit. <laughs> that was that was I his whole you, match. I tell you, uh, I, I, when you talk about a sellout crowd, the, the curtain was sold out that night. Uh, the boys, <laughs> yeah. the boys were wondering what was going to happen with with me and Kendall because I don't know. Kendall just running the gauntlet through the through the young guys. I get this guy this night, this guy. This. My name happened to come up on the list, but I was like, Nah, that ain't happening, bro. That that ain't going down like that. But I swear, <laughs> man, those are the memories right there for me, though, know, that sticks out of my head like like a sore thumb, man. Like it was yesterday because uh, that was the uh, that's the fun part of the business. That's the uh, wow. the only job training. Those are the memories that, you know, last forever. You know, uh, I, I just had my Ribera jacket on just last week. Still fit perfectly fine, man. So, <laughs> oh, thank you, was, man. was that not the matter of the greatest pride when you got the Ribera's jacket? I heck mean, that yeah. was the greatest day ever. Heck yeah, man. James I still Pierre got it. I, I still <laughs> got that jacket, man. And what's crazy is Ribera is still thriving today, man. It's still you know, the spot, you know, for the boys to go to and, you know, just to have that moment. Right. So I appreciate that, um, you know, that part of tr the tradition of the wrestling business still being here because a lot of the tradition, you know, is um, it's not there, you know, like it was when we were coming up. Um, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm still happy to see that. I, you know, there's two things when you go to Japan as, as a youngster, as a rookie or just a beginner that you, that you want to leave Japan with. One is a Rivera jacket. And the other was a Seiko watch, and I was fortunate enough to walk out with both of them too. And I wish I wish I would have saved my jacket. I think I still got the watch somewhere around here, but the jacket I think I wore that thing out my 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 when I returned home because I refused to take it off. I wanted to show everybody I'd been to Japan, and that was your mark that you've been to Japan. Uh, another, that another thing back in, in, in the day uh, when you went to Japan, you had to see Pearl Man Joe. Yes. 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 I'm like, yes. why the hell do I need to see Pearl Man Joe? <laughs> oh my god, I forgot all about Pearl Man Joe. Please, please I missed out on that. So please tell me what Pearl Man Joe is. No, he was just a guy who sold pearls. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. And it was just—it's like you know—it's like one of the things that you had. To, it was almost like getting the Ribera jacket. You know, you got to get some pearls, Pearl Man Joe. And I'm like, okay, you know. uh, I tell you, uh, uh, some of the uh, experiences uh, in Japan. First time I was in Japan, 
um, staying there at the Tokyo Inn, um, I ran into Sabu. And then me being a green kid, um, you know, first trip to Japan, um, I was a little, you know, naive to the business. I saw um, Sabu and he wanted to go to the gym with us. And this brother had cuts everywhere on his body. And I was like, the hell is happening to this guy? You know, I'm like, I'm like, do I really want to be in this business? Or do I want to be in Japan after seeing this guy? You know, so <laughs> definitely uh, uh, gave me a different outlook on the business uh, my first trip. Yeah, Animal Hamaguchi had a gym uh, there upstairs. Uh, Fanaki was a young boy at it at the time. It's wow. it by the old uh, Wino st- train station, but a big old Shiite shrine. And uh, Animal had a, a gym upstairs, and Funaki was there with him. James Beard was the one that always was the one that took such good care of us. You know, he, in Dallas and, and in uh, Japan, he's the one that booked me and you both booked. I tell you, man, um, I give that guy um, um, so much, uh, so much love for you know being um, being able to spot some talent like yourself and me and say, hey, let's bring these guys to Japan. Because one thing about it uh, back then. You didn't get a, a offer to go to Japan if you couldn't work. That's right. Yeah. If you if you wasn't somebody looked at as being, oh man, this might be an, you know one of the American guys that we could bring over here on a trip after trip on a tour after tour basis. They're not going to look at you that way. And um, for us to get picked out um, to go there and then to go there and succeed, um, I think I could have made a career in, in Japan if I could have just dealt with the lifestyle. Um, um, because I felt like I was good enough. And, and for me, um, and James built to spot that, man, I appreciate it. Seriously. Yeah, that was fun work over there. It was just good, solid, hard work. And the Japanese fans really appreciated you working hard. The hard work, man, that, that's an understatement. Um, as yeah. far as, you know, taking those bus trips, you know, um, going through those mountains, you know, um, you, you're going to earn that. You was going to earn that money, that envelope you got when you left. <laughs> you was going to earn that son of a gun, man. It wasn't like you were just going over there to work one night. You were going to be working night after night after night. Um, I remember working in some of I remember um, getting powerbombed one night in a, one of those arenas. I don't know where the hell we were, but it was so cold because they didn't have any heaters in there. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the mat felt like it was concrete because it was so cold. And the only thing I remember... Literally, it's like a a pitcher still in my head. It's smoke coming out of my mouth. Yeah, that's right. And I I remember that so vividly. And and that powerbomb being so freaking hard. Um, Me and my brother, after that night, we made a pat um, to make sure that these Japanese um, wrestlers treat us a little bit different going forward. And and the next night after that, we went out and broke a guy's ribs, and they loved us from that. <laughs> but you know, Booker, yeah, it sounds cruel, but you really had to do stuff like that. I mean, I I was fortunate. I always, when I went over there, I mean, we we had those six week tours. I mean, and, and working every night six yeah. weeks, and uh, yeah. and I was I was basically a rookie, and I was over there with Don Jardine, which I'm sure both of you guys know, and. Don, Don had really took me under his wing. And the first few nights I was there, I was, you know, six foot, 210 pounds. I was getting a crap beat out of me every night. One night, Don waved me over the side. He said, are you liking what you're doing out there? And I said, no. He said, you're a wrestler, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, go out there and wrestle with some gun. Make, make them know that you know what 
to do out there. They're eating you alive and you're letting them do it. Go out there and fight back. And once Don got that pounded into my head, I went out there and the Japanese people, they really appreciated it after that because I didn't give any of them a breath of air after that. <laughs> I was instructed in the back what to do. <laughs> No, I mean, like you say, it may sound cruel, but I tell you, uh, my brother and I, after that, man, we got so much respect. They, they loved us. You know, um, it wasn't something that we tried to do, but we was like, man, we got to work a little stiffer with these guys. Um, we got to, it's not like Americans, you know, like being in the sportatorium. We're going to change it up a little bit. And I tell you, when we got back from Japan, man, no, the American guys, they. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> like brother like the hell up what are you thinking you know so for me um i'm from that part you know the world is for the street i'm always about fighting i've always been confrontational so for me and my brother to be in that setting it was perfect um, so, so, so definitely uh my love my once, once you got the green light you could go you went and oh, yeah, oh, yeah, i loved it and, and it was amazing because once you once you started fighting the japanese wrestlers liked you too Oh yeah, that's what, that's what no, that's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. The wrestlers, I mean, the bookers, um, everybody. I mean, we were getting taken out and wined and dined and you know drinking beer that we couldn't stand up um, after that. You know? So I was like, man, we're in. Uh, uh, and my time, um, even um, even when I uh, went to WCW, I got a chance to go to Japan and work. And uh, I tell you, uh, it was. It was no different then. I loved it. Um, it was a lot of fun. I had moved up the ladder a little bit, so I got treated a little bit different um, as well outside of the ring. Uh, but for my time um, in Japan, I tell you, I tell any young guy um, that's in this business, I know everybody's goal is to make it to, to WWE or now AEW. Um, but take that trip. If you get a chance to go to Japan and experience that, you, you, you cannot miss out on it. Just just take, take my advice on it. It's an experience of a lifetime. Guys who wrestled a lot in Japan also were treated differently by the American boys because they knew that, uh, you know, if you made it in Japan, you could make it anywhere because that was that was tough to make it there. Well, you, you, you mentioned Stan Hansen. You know, and Stan Hansen, and, you know, I think you, you um, sat under the learning tree uh, yeah. there for a minute. And um, a guy like that who went over there and, and did his job and did his job well, you, you could do nothing but respect him. You knew exactly what he was all about. Um, and if, like you say, there again, if he made it over there and if he made it to that next level, um, he definitely was uh, the, the guy you want to be around. The first time Bob Orton tagged me in, because I was tagging with Bob, he, he tells told me in that raspy voice, he goes, I'm over, kid. I can sell. You can't. Go get them. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Huh?" laughs> I tell you, uh, Stan was just a worker, though. I remember uh, I had a convention uh, um, back when WrestleMania was in Houston, and um, I wanted to get Stan Hansen, you know, because I was always a big fan. And uh, I said, man, I, we got to get Stan Hansen in. And I called Stan, and, and I got his phone number from somebody, and I called him. I told him, you know, it's Booker T. You know, I want to see if I can get you in for my my uh, Legends convention. And uh, he goes, yeah, I think I might, you know, I might can do it. You know, and I go, it wants to pay off. You know, <laughs> I say, I say, I can, I can, get, I, I can give you five grand, man, for a couple of hours. Oh, I can, you want to pay an old man like me five grand? I go, I go, you just don't know. In Texas, 
you worth well more than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he came down and he did it for me. And then maybe a, a year later, um, I got booked to go to Japan for a week. And Stan was on the tour. And we were in the bar drinking um, a, a few days later. It was awesome, man. For me to be around Stan Hansen, yeah. having a drink with Stan Hansen was literally a dream come true uh, for me, seriously. Absolutely. He gave, he gave one time, me and Barry one of them, he gave us this uh, number. He goes, now, boys, I'm going to give you my number. Just don't call me. <laughs> why, why, why are you giving me your number? <laughs> what are you talking about? It's the best. He told me, he goes, you know, the key to, the key to making it, don't buy a boat. Don't buy a boat. Just that's, don't that's buy good. nothing you don't need. Yeah, that's, that's true, man. Yeah, you <laughs> I, 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 I love Stan. I had a boat, man. Every time I went out of that son of a gun, I had to send it to the shop. Every time. <laughs> I'm like, man, what in the hell is so fun about this? You know what I mean? You know, I'm serious, man. You know, I came to Florida, my brother and I, let's let's get a boat. You know, we're in Florida, you know, and the golf is right there, you know, at, at 10 minutes from our house. Let's buy a boat. So we buy a boat. Now we got to find a place to store the boat. So you got to store the boat. Now, now, even in the boats in storage, you got to maintain that. Boat. Oh yeah, most definitely. Yeah. If you just let a boat set in that damn storage, you go out and you're going to get stuck in the middle of the damn ocean out there. So now you got the expense of that. You know, you got to fuel that damn thing. <laughs> then you got to pay somebody to take it out of the water and all that stuff. I mean, the boat, man, we, we had that boat about five years. I said, Jack, I'm going broke. <laughs> you <want> to <laughs> I tell you, my, my, my favorite boat story is uh, I had a, you know, I had a, like a 20, 21 footer, a little bay boat. And uh, when I was in WCW, man, I had, I was out on that thing almost every week. Like uh, Lanier. That's how much time I had off when I was in WCW. You know, I was like, man, I loved working in that company. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, WWE bought it out and I started working for WWE, right? In uh, 2001, right, I start working. And uh, I realized, I was like, man, I hadn't been out on my boat in a while, man. I want to, I want to take it out, man, you know, just to go out and, have some fun, man. I had a, finally got a weekend off, you know, with WWE. <laughs> and I looked at my sticker on my boat, and it was 2006. <laughs> Five years had gone by, and I hadn't even used it because I've been working my ass off. Ended up having to sell it after that. I go, man, this is just useless. What am I thinking here, you know? But I was working so much. I didn't even have time, and I didn't realize uh, five years ago by when I go, went to go get the new sticker put on. <laughs> yeah. you know, I then you heard it. Realize how how often we worked, especially when you're on top. You know, when you when you make it on top during the, during that run where you're on top. Wow. You know, unless you're you know like a Hogan or a Stone Cold who's always on top. You, you know, you work all the time. You don't ever have time off. Yeah, people don't understand that. People think, and I'm sure you know you can you, you know. Uh, the test. Uh, being a champion is the hardest job in, in the wrestling business. Being the heavyweight champion, you you got to be on all the time. I'm talking about PR work. You got to be on. Um, I'm, I'm talking about on sales. You got to be on all the time. You might have to, you know, you know, go do a meet and greet at the, you know, corporate office or whatever. Um, you in 
you're going to be uh, uh, on the show early, uh, middle of the show, main event, and dark match. That's right, the dark match. That's what uh, people don't, don't realize because people don't see that. Oh, brother. I remember one time I was um, King um, King Booker as the world heavyweight champion. And um, I was in the hallway and I was on one of the on one of the crates and I was dead asleep, sitting up. MVP walks by and he goes, taps me on the shoulder and he goes, book, you OK? And I go, yeah. He goes, all right. He left. I went right back to sleep. Waiting on what I had to do later on because you, uh, when you're not working, you know you want that downtime because when the red light is on, boom, you got to go, uh, and that's the that's the way that's the mode I was in um, as champion. And uh, people, you know, think it's the most glamorous job in the world, and, and it is. It is. I don't think I paid for a meal for two years <laughs> or a drink, <laughs> uh, but but I tell you, it's the hardest job in the world. Seriously. Yeah, it is. And a lot of people don't realize this, the dark match. You know, so after TV, when you do a long pay-per-view or you do a long Monday Night Raw or SmackDown, you've got to wait till the end and go out there and keep the crowd at the end because the last match on television might not be a match that could keep the crowd. So they're going to stick the champion out there with the number one baby face, the top heel, whatever it is, to keep the crowd. So you got to always be in the ring at the end. And when you come back, everybody's gone. Everybody's Everybody gone. Everybody's gone. Everybody's you know, gone. It, 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 like they say, man, the, the, the old cliche, man, it's lonely at the top. <laughs> it, it really is, man. It's lonely at the top. And, and uh, but, but I tell you, it's the, it's the best job uh, and it's the worst job at the same time. Um, and yeah. you, gotta, you got to be totally prepared uh, for that situation. And people don't, people can't even, even fathom, you know, um, what John Cena went through. Oh. They, they can't even imagine what that guy went through. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And a rain and a rain like Roman Reigns is having right now. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that, that, that ruins a, a guy, you, you know, you, physically, you, mentally. I mean, you gotta, you got so much responsibility. You're responsible for drawing the house too, which is not completely on you, but you feel like it is. You're responsible for closing every single show. I mean, that is a massive amount of responsibility to have for that long of a run. Really? Is. Yeah. I mean, not, not, not only do you, you have to ha have that, but the guys in the back, you know, they, they got to have that mentality because you guys like you and Booker, you, you, you're in a dark match. I mean, it's, it's 11 o'clock at the earliest one before you go into the ring. By the time you get out of there, it's 1130 quarter to 12. By the time you shower, it's another hour. Then you get in a car. And oh, by the way, you got to be up at six thirty in the morning and call WLLL and and tell them what a good night they're going to have in, in this new town that you're going to have to repeat everything all over again. So <laughs> your schedule is never your when when you're when you're the top guy in that organization. Yeah, you, you hit it right on the head, man, right there. As far as you know, having to you know have so much pressure on you, but I I, I respect these guys so much that's able to go out there and deliver that's in that position um, because there again, um, it's the hardest job in, in, in this business, but it's the place you want to be. Um, if you wouldn't if, be in any other place, right? No, right. If, if you, I mean, for me, I was the guy that was going to be raising my hand and say, put me at the front of the class. And, you know, I want to be the first one to ask, answer the question. Um, you know, if, if, 
I wanted to prove how good I was. Um, and sometimes it's, it's your endurance. Um, that's why I, I look at a guy like a, like you said, Roman, a guy like Cena, uh, who has been able, a guy like Taker, you know what I mean? Who has had to, you know, pull, I mean, so much longer than mo- all of us um, having to um, um, live under that pressure. So uh, it's definitely a, definitely a hell of a role. And you, you want to, you want you want that run too, because you don't get in this business to be opening or, or metal match. You 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 get in this business to be the star. And but sometimes you just don't understand the weight of that star on your shoulders, you know. And, and that's a tragic part because you see so many guys, not a, a lot of guys, but you see uh, a few guys that get that star on, and they can't handle the outside responsibility that a champion has. Well, I, I look at a guy who John probably, you know, literally came down harder, came down harder on this guy than anybody. And he, and he shows me his will to, you know, press through and, and keep moving forward and, and say, man, I'm going to prove to these guys that I'm worthy enough to be in this locker room, no matter how long it takes. And that's a guy like Miz. You can say what they want to say about that guy, man. But that's a guy who has persevered, I mean, in every shape, way possible um, to prove that, you know, I'm willing to work. Uh, sometimes it's the guys that work harder. It may not be the guy that's got the most talent that gets to that next level. That's why I give that guy so much credit. He's a guy who could have quit um, uh, and said, man, I'm, I'm out of here, man. I can't take this. And he stuck around and, and took everything um, he had to take from Guys like us, us veterans, and say, "Man, I'm gonna show these guys." Uh, and I look at them, man. I give them a, a whole lot of credit, man. Yeah, I do too. And, and not only that, you talk about his work ethic. He does everything. You know, when I was had a when I was working at, in media, I had needed somebody for a show. They go, "Oh, Miz will do it," and he was fantastic when he did it and showed up. Everybody in that studio fell in love with him. You know, he was he was, said hi to everybody. He worked his ass off, and then he went and went to another appearance. And he went to another appearance. He works 24 seven. I mean, yeah. it's really remarkable what Miz has done. It really is. And, and from the outside looking in, you, you can't see that. You just see him going out doing what he does on television. But the guy that make it to the next level is so much more to that guy um, than what you see on television. You know, and, and I bring up John Cena uh, uh, just because I was, I was there and he, he was one of the guys that sat under the learning tree with guys like you and, and myself. And, and John was the guy who um, I would see everybody out of the locker room and Joe would have a trash can picking up trash, you know, and, uh, and right. you, you just so the boys wouldn't look bad, you know, um, and look like slobs to whoever came in there after us. Um, and he was a guy that was the, the world champion. <laughs> Right, that's right. Yeah. So um, uh, when I see um, guys that that are willing to go out there and not just talk it, man, but go out there and be about it, nothing but respect, man. Nothing but respect for those guys. Hey Jerry, I was I told I heard the story about your brother Jack when he uh, finally dropped the NWA title. He threw away his watch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The story is, you know, I'm, uh, he he called a shot. You know, Jack's one of those few guys that he realized, you know the time, you know, he couldn't do that 24 seven. And he had just gotten a divorce, another divorce and got remarried. And he didn't want to go through that same path again. So he kind of uh, told Eddie, Hey, figure out if this is the date we're in Miami, 
get somebody down here. I'm going to drop it. And, and the, Sam Mutchick, everybody was calling Jack. No, Jack, we're not ready. We're not. Well, I'm ready. I can't handle that, 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 that schedule anymore. So, uh, Jack always lived, lived by that, that, that watch there. So, uh, so he dropped it and Jack just disappeared. He went out on the boat. He, he got, actually got used to that boat for like two years. Then we made our, our, our deal with Vince and then we're back on the road. So, uh, so when you're, as you guys know, when you're on the road, you're always checking that watch. What yeah, time is it? I got to be here. I got to be there. I got to be there a certain time. I got to be at the arena a certain time. He hated a watch. And he had a damn nice, uh, wasn't a Rolex, but Omega watch, you know, really nice old gold, solid gold, of course, all that stuff. So, so we're, we're up in New Jersey, and there's a blizzard coming. And Jack had come off that boat. There was a blizzard in New Jersey. Don Morocco had picked us up. We're a plane with Lake coming in. Of course, we're walking by a bar, and Morocco said, hey, that, there's a bar over there. Let's have a drink before we, we're going down to Philly. And Jack said, yeah. So we went in. We had more than Drake. We had a few bloody marriage. We walked out. Don was in there for 45 minutes. We walked out to the parking lot. As you guys know, Newark at the time, it opens up. As you walk out, it's, it's a big parking lot out there. Walked out there, Morocco starts looking. He couldn't find his car for the snow. I mean, every car looked the same. <laughs> Jack heard an airplane going south. He said, Gerald, see that airplane? It's headed south. He said, I'm going to be on the next one. I looked at him, what? He said, I'm leaving. He turned around, walked back in, bought his own ticket, got on an airplane, headed to Florida. About two days later, he called me, and he said, hey, I'm, th- I'm, I'm burning everything. He burnt every pair of tights he had, every pair of boots he had, and he took his watch. He lived on Big Lake about two miles from there, took his watch off and threw that damn gold Omega watch right in the damn lake. He never bought another watch the rest of his life. <laughs> hey man, the business can do that to you, man. The business can yeah. do that to you. It really can. Uh, you know, being being able to take a step away from it and, and detox. If you get away from this business for a second, you really you really can understand what life is. Um, you know, for a regular person. You know, we don't realize it because we're in it. Um, you know, it's like a washing machine, and we're just you know going around in circles. You know, what I mean. Um, but when you stop and take a moment and, and take a step back, you go, wow. Just like, it's like for me, um, I don't have any itch to scratch at all. You know, I see a lot of guys want to go back and get in the ring and they're like, man, I have no itch and no desire at all to do that. Uh, because of all of that time on the road, I, I, I was, I was in, I was all in, but I, I want to be one of those guys to when I got out of the business, I could take a step back enjoy the fruits of the labor and do something else and still be able to parlay my success from wrestling into something else. And hopefully that's what these young guys are thinking about because it doesn't last forever and your body's not going to allow you to do this forever. And, and you are going to hopefully want that, 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 um, that day in the sun where you could just get kicked back in and relax. You know, I know a lot of guys who don't I look at a lot of guys right now that's, you know, in their late fifties, some in their sixties, Still having that, you know, uh, one last run moment, not one to, you know, get, you know, let it go. Um, and, and I understand that, too. I, I, I do. I understand the roar of the crowd, um, that adulation, um, that 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 drug almost like, you know, feeling. Um, but for me, I swear, man, I, I feel like I did everything I possibly can in the wrestling business. So now I'm in, I'm, I'm content. 
um, where I'm at in my life right now. My my kid's 11 years old. I got to wow. take him to tennis tennis practice um, later on. Um, you know, my wife. You know, she's awesome. You know, she's out there doing her acting thing right now, and, and I can support her doing what she's doing. You know, mom is downstairs. You know, you know, making sure everything's uh in, in, in check as well. You know, my dog. You know, I mean, you know, I, I love being um, the person that I was. I so love being the person who I am right now, man. Working with my students, um, Reality Arrest, and we're building a new school right now um, where we, it's going to be totally um, lit properly. Um, when, when you think you like, you know, on Broadway, uh, I got students that's getting signed all over WWE, AEW, um, um, Japan, everywhere. And, and it's so awesome um, to see what we are creating. Um, um, and, and all of it stems from... You know, um, this business that I've been in for the last 30 years plus, um, I never imagined being in this business for 30 years. Um, and uh, it's been a hell of a ride, man. And um, I'm just going to keep on riding as long as I can. You know what you don't realize is, you know, like during the run we had, cause we didn't have the Internet and we didn't have cell phones, you know, so we didn't have. Thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm a huge sports fan. Well, by the time we got to the hotels, you know, we didn't have, you know, 40, 14 million sports channels. Sports was over. So yeah. I missed like, you know, 15 years of sports. 20. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 20 years of sports. Because I look back and I go, who was that guy? And they're like, oh, he was an all pro. I'm going, oh, geez, that had to happen there in 2003, 2004. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't see any of it. You know, because yeah. we were traveling on weekends. Yeah. We are traveling yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. We, we missed so much. Now, it was worth every bit of it. But it's also cool now to be able to catch up with that stuff. They they asked uh, Mark Henry recently about coming. John, 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 well, just, uh, things hadn't changed. Oklahoma still beats Texas. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> it's the worst weekend of my life when freaking Oklahoma beats Texas. And you hate OU as much as I do, Jerry. <laughs> you freaking Oklahoma State cowboy. I know we just kicked our butts in wrestling this last week. I had a big riot there, but one of the guys that we signed in that image thing got gotten a little push shove out. Did you guys see that? I didn't. There, there, there's a kid, AJ Ferrari. Matter of fact, he's from Allen, Texas. He was a, one of first th- one of three uh, natural freshmen, true freshmen, to win the NCAA title last year. He's an Italian guy and he's ripped. I mean, he oh, likes to I, talk. I think I think WWE is think, I'm trying to sign this kid. We just we just signed him. That okay, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. AJ, AJ, yeah, and uh, and of course Gable. Uh, but AJ, 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 and Gable's even uh, at last year were going at it verbally. So, so he's a natural heel. This kid is. So it was after the duel. We beat OU like something like 33 to three or something like that. Only one match won. It was a heavyweight match. And then uh, AJ's a 200 pounder, 197 pounder. And so it was after you, you got to line up after the events and shake everybody's hands and, you know, do the, do the, do the little league handshake deal. So it got to the end of it and all ESPN showed uh, that you could pick up was, the big heavyweight, the only guy one reaching out and shoving at AJ. So I'm sure AJ said something to him. I'm sure the subject didn't come just, uh, just by accident. And the next day, you know, AJ's in on this big heavyweight, double legged him and dumps him on his back, you know, before the teammates get there and separate them and everything. So, uh, so uh, Oklahoma bad sport. 
Bad sport, man. That was, Oklahoma struck first. But anyway, hey, eight, bro, that's eight, what I was just going to say. You, you better strike first. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the, the bottom line is, you know, they, these kids, uh, what an opportunity they have. But, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of them, uh, a lot of them like AJ and this Gable Stevenson, you know, they, they grew up watching guys like you, uh, Layfield and, and Booker T. And, uh, and they, they just idolize them. When I'm around them, they talk about that era more than they do this era now. Because you guys left a lasting impression. Of course, they were teenagers at that time, too. Easy, easy to influence there. But, uh, you know, I was going to say, you know, to guys that want to come back, Mark Henry, they asked him the other day about coming back. And Mark said, if somebody hits me now, I'm calling the police. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great answer. No, man, I'm serious, man. I love the business. I I wrestled one of my students about a year ago, and uh, I asked myself the day after what the hell I was thinking. Look, um, you, blew, you blew out your tricep on the Spinner Rooney at the Hall of Fame, didn't you? I actually, I blew, I blew it out, but I just didn't sell it. <laughs> I love it. I came up with it. It's hurting like crazy. I'm like, I still gotta, I still gotta look cool. You know, <laughs> I tell my students all the time, wrestling man is you gotta look cool. Uh, even when you get your ass whooped, you gotta look cool doing it. <laughs> you know, so, heck yeah, man. Oh man, I can say, man, I don't, I don't have no itch to scratch, man. Uh, my, my student, uh, he chopped me so hard. My ear is still ringing, man, and it won't go away. Another year ago, I. Sp- Swear to God, and I was like, it was just from a freaking chop, it was like a freaking shotgun went off. And he told me he was going to take care of me. <laughs> he goes, Book, I heard you're going to be having another match. And I go, Jay, he goes, well, Book, I, I can take care of you, man. I promise, man, I'm the one who can take care of you, you know. And I'm like, okay, I got this kid. He want to take care of the old man, you know. <laughs> Oh my God. I swear I had to go to the doctor about it and everything, man. It won't stop freaking ringing. Hey, the best thing they didn't film was at the, the Takers uh, retirement ceremony, I guess at uh, Survivor Series or whatever, yeah. whatever it was. And uh, so Takers uh, in the ring, and I'm watching all the guys, and I was one of them, try to get up the stairs without falling without getting hurt and getting the ring. And every single one of us were like, like looking around to make sure the camera's not on us. <laughs> Just walking down the ramp. Walking down the ramp, trying to get up the stairs. I wanted to see you do that little two-step. <laughs> that two-step ain't happening no more. That ramp is difficult. It really is difficult walking oh, down Oh, man, thing. you better be careful walking down that ramp. I don't I, you know, every time, you know, we go to uh, TV now, you know, we, me and Jess still do the um, kickoff shows. I, that's the closest I've been to the ring at the desk since I since I got out of business. I haven't, I haven't come close to actually just walking by the ring. I don't know why. It's, yeah. like a, it's like a phobia to where I just do not want to be anywhere in proximity um, to where I'm close to the ring at all. I don't know why. Seriously. It's got, it's got that, that 
positive magnet to it that when you walk by it, it just starts sucking you in. Yeah, maybe, it. maybe that's it. But when <laughs> I walk by it, it, it bounces my ass the other way. When I get close to it, it's like a... a You're the negative. You <laughs> <laughs> won't go, it won't get there. Yeah. Like that, you know. <laughs> so it was from Booker. If Vince McMahon called you tomorrow and said, Booker, I got a main event coming up at uh, Dallas at the uh, 100 some odd people at WrestleMania. I, ne- I need you there. It out to be in Saudi. <laughs> I have to be in Saudi. Oh, okay. You can make mistakes there. Huh? I can make that one happen. <laughs> <laughs> so every man does have his pride. So, <laughs> so we got it right here. We got it right here, John. That hey, book and Booker T is open itself up to us. Oh, hey, like Booker. I say, bro, they pray me, I know what that check gonna look like if I <laughs> I'm a bunch of those zeros. I'm 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 going to negotiate that one. (laughs) (laughs) The other day, Jerry, we were at uh, some show. I don't know what it was. It was me and Booker and uh, Glenn uh, Kane sitting in the dressing room. And at one point, it's just us three in there. So we usually dress in, I think, like the TV locker room. So it's we've always done it, you know, there. Nobody's there. We're out of everybody's way. And we're sitting there just talking. And I, I look at them. I go, we've been doing this a long time. (laughs) <laughs> just us three in the dressing room, yeah. sitting in chairs in some arena, wherever it is, nobody knows. We've been doing it for about a quarter of a century. <laughs> wow. Hey, bro, we're still here, though, man. We're still and here. Still having fun. I'm still having fun. And, and the thing is, I try to, I try to, I try to uh, network with the young guys these days. It's hard. It's hard. I, th- I guess because of social media, um, and everybody is so, um, I don't know, protective. Maybe everybody's so. Everybody is so about them, you know, and I think that's what the wrestling business. I think uh, before the um, social media, um, like we were just talking about, we all knew that we were, we had a role to play. It's just like um, I, I always quote, you know, um, myself when I when I talk about um, The Rock. I say um, the guys in the WWF back then, WWE, they knew The Rock was a star. They knew this guy was a star, and everybody in the locker room said, "Let's get behind this guy." Let's push him yeah. to the moon. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not quite like that anymore. You know what I mean? And, I, and that's what I try to preach to uh, these young guys. In order for you to make it to that next level, you got to know how to, you know, um, you got to know how to bring, bring the next guy up. And um, that's what a lot of guys back in the day, in that locker room, I always tell people, you got to know how to make it in the locker room before you ever have a chance at making it in the ring. And I say that because I came from WCW and, and, and every, every WCW guy, none of them knew how to make it in the locker room. They could work, but they didn't know how to make it in the locker room. I said, I'm going to leave all my accolades back in WCW, back in Georgia, and I'm going to go in this locker room and prove to these guys that I'm worthy to be in there with them. All right? And, and, and I remember um, um, coming to work one day and uh, Undertaker say, hey, man, would you come dress over here with us? It was the first time I dressed in the TV locker room. I earned that respect. Right. And, um, and, I, and it paid off here at the end. You know, that was one of the problems with uh, WCW and the invasion. You know, you had you and, and Dallas were the two uh, by far the biggest names. And you, then you had a bunch of great, wonderful talent. But you didn't have Goldberg. You didn't have Hall and Nash. You didn't have Bischoff. You didn't have Hogan. You, you didn't have the guys that were the, the mainstays. And so it was never really set up for success, you know, for WCW to the invasion, you know, it came later, but it was, it was too late to do it at that point. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and I understood that. I understood that when I when I came over. Um, you know what? I didn't expect for the guys in the locker room, you know, to to dislike me um, or anything like that. I knew it wasn't going to be like, um, you know, that's a love fest or anything like that. But I knew that I was one of the guys that was likable. I knew uh, when I came in the locker room, I didn't believe in my own uh, press clippings. Um, I was a worker. I was a worker, but more importantly, um, there again, um, I knew what I had to do in order to make it. Um, and, and thinking about what I did in WCW, that wasn't it. Um, I had to prove to these guys that I'm willing to be on the team because, and, and the reason I say that is because WWF beat WCW as a collective. It wasn't one person. Right. It was, it was Bradshaw, Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was The Rock. It was The Undertaker. Man, I was over there watching you guys and the way you guys were working together. And, you know, Triple H, you know, moving the furniture around on Monday nights, bleeding and break. You know, it was it was a it, it was a nucleus of guys trying to win, and it and it took a team just like any just like the you know uh, the New England Patriots or the you know Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now. It took a team to actually do that. And um, I wanted to be on that team, man. I say, man, let me figure out what it's going to take to be on this team. And, and when you, it, it's, you, you can't always be at the top. You know what I mean? You, you, you just got to figure out what your role is. Play that role to the best of your ability to something better comes along. My brother taught me that. Um, so for me, um, it was a, 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 a test, a challenge, but a challenge that I felt like I was up to. When a lot of those guys um, in WCW, they was making a lot of money. They were happy. Um, they were, you know, big stars. You know what I mean? And that right there, sometimes you look in the mirror and wink at yourself, you know. <laughs> it feels good at that moment, but it can be um, over and done with in the blink of an eye. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. With Blue Chew, men everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. They'll always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? It's time to get off the couch, back to work. If your tool needs an upgrade, head to bluechew.com. Guys, there's nothing sexier than confidence. And Blue Chew can give you the confidence where it counts. Book, when you came to WWE, I know you had a lot of acquaintances like John and probably passed uh, with Mark and, and Stone Cold. But did you have any close friends that you, you could get in the car with and, and ride down the road and, and share, 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 share troubles with? When you came in WWE, um, and even in WCW, I had very few people that I would ride with um, um, on a regular basis. I don't know why. You know, I, I've always had the uh, 
um, the motto is uh, you can't tell on yourself. Hmm. And, uh, right, right. you know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, so I always thought about um, this business as, you know, something that had to be protected. Um, and, and my lifestyle, um, it had to be protected in a certain way because I do look at myself as a role model. I can't be putting myself out there where I'm getting caught up in a whole lot of, you know, uh, scandals and stories being, um, you know, out there about me because I, I consider myself a role model. And, um, and and one thing about the business, it's easy to get in trouble. It's so easy to get in trouble um, in, in the business. Um, and, and, and when you, um, you know, some someone, you know, people want to, you know, um, put you in that, in that position. I always say you put yourself in a position, something can't happen. So I, I always uh, stayed to myself a whole lot. I, I, I rode by myself. I'm on a lot of those trips by myself. And um, I would call Sue and tell her, hey, book me a hotel somewhere in the middle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So when you came, you actually, you really had to earn that respect from, from everybody because you're, like I said, we make acquaintances as we're traveling through, through our business there. There's very few times that you become really close friends with like, with people like John and Ron did, you know, or, or John and, and you did, or, or the three of us have, I, I like to say too. So it, it's very difficult, uh, you know, when you come to a new place and to try to fit in. You, and you can't, if you go in and brag, I was five-time WCW champion. Well, you, brother, you're in WWE now. Yeah. Mean, so you come in, you wipe that slate free, and, and you come in like that with the attitude, hey, I'm here, I'm a beginner here. You know, I want, I want to start all over and prove myself all over again. You know what? I, I came in, and I just say, I'm just going to work. I, I didn't I didn't look, I didn't, I'm going to tell you, I, I've always been um, confrontational. Um, I, I've never been the one to kiss ass or anything like that. Um, but, but I always, you know, say, um, Hey man, um, there again, it's, it's not about me. Um, and I've, I've never wanted to make, um, it about me, um, ever. Um, so when I, when I came in, you know, it was no problem for me to, like I say, um, put everything aside other than, you know, me going out and doing the work in the middle of the ring. I felt like if I did that part right there, um, the guys would, you know, uh, you know, warm up to me. And the guys, I was, I've, I've always been a likable guy. I remember Earl, uh, Earl Hebner, uh, who was on a house show uh, one day. And um, that was right after I came to WWE. Maybe um, six months in. And he goes, you know, Book, when, uh, when you first got hired, I always wondered why this company uh, really wanted to hire you. They really wanted you really bad. And I never knew. And he goes, now I know. And I, and I didn't even know what he was talking about, you know, but it was something that I had showed him. He had seen something in me and we're really close to, to still to this day. You know what I mean? Um, so that just let me know that, you know, just be myself and um, everything else that happened for me. We all found that out, Booker, why, why we're hard <laughs> because of the person we're talking to. You're the man. <laughs> Appreciate it, brother. You're not only a man bugger, but uh, the stuff you did, the stuff you did in the ring, you know, the stuff with, <laughs> I just love the stuff you did with gold dust, the stuff you did with stone cold, the stuff you did as a King. I mean, makes you one of the greatest small time, but your story, which a lot of us didn't know back then to me is the greatest part of your entire legacy. I mean, it's, it's something that I think every kid should know. I tell Ron the same thing, you know, Ron came up, you know, from a broken home and, you know, no parents and end up as a runner up to the Heisman trophy. I mean, you two guys, are people that should look toward 
and say, you know what, you can do what you want in life if you work hard and you do the right things, which Amen. I think to me is the most important legacy that you leave. You, you, you're you 100% right. Um, I, I tell people all the time, um, for me, I look at life as you play the hand you're dealt. Um, and sometimes you got to bluff, you know, your way through. Uh, you got to act like it. You know, I tell my students, you don't actually have to know how to do this. You just have to act like you know how to do it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, I've tried to, uh, you know, go through life like that. Um, I didn't get the, um, the, the, the highest um, of education um, or anything like that. Um, but I figured out um, life somehow. I figured it out um, how, to, how, to, how to get through this life. And um, it's been a hell of a ride, man. It's been a hell of a ride. I don't regret too much of anything in my life um, other than, you know, losing my mom at a young age. Other than that, I don't, re I don't regret too much. Um, you know, me going to prison, I felt like that is something that changed me um, for the better. It made me, it opened my eyes, definitely. And I'm glad it happened at such a young age to where I was able to re redeem myself, you know, um, and, and, and prove that I was worth more than just being a, a number, you know. So um, it, it's an inspirational story. And I, that's why I try to talk about it all the time and get kids to, you know, read my book from Prison of Promise. Um, if Booker T did it, you know, it, it's definitely possible. So it's, um, it's, 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 and the thing is, I'm not unique or anything like that. There's so many um, um, kids out there that, that go through um, the same thing that I um, go through. Um, the uniqueness um, part about me was I was just not willing to accept, you know, um, um, that that's it. That, that's as far as I was going to go. I just I just wasn't willing, willing to accept it. Booker, to, me, to me, listening to your story and, and going back and researching it, I, and I, I watched two wonderful pieces that you and John had done previously on, on a WWE uh, uh, produced show and started telling your story. I knew a lot of your story. But I, I didn't, I, I didn't really, really know, uh, you know, the the the, the meat, the meat, the, the nuts and bolts of it. But it was such an inspirational story, like John says, and it just shows you, you know, you had in your mind that hey, I was put on this earth to be more than than what you just said, a number in, in a jail cell or or a guy out there on the street. I was put on this earth to entertain, and and you you somehow got that clicked that in your mind there. And from that point on, it just seemed like everything you did was for a rhyme and a reason. You had a purpose in life. And I think the bottom line is maybe that jail, jail time showed you that purpose of, of, of your life and, and, and what you can do. But you're right, John. You, you, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything that you want to do. And you can come from, there's no excuses. You can come from down here and go up here. Oh, yeah. and, and and a minute, you know. So, uh, so, it, but it it just takes that clear mind and that determination that you had. Yeah, um, my mother taught me um, good values. You know, please, thank you, yes, ma'am, no, sir. Um, those things pretty much carried me through life. I remember the um, the CEO, um, the correctional officer. You know, he told me when I was leaving. Well, he just tell me he told the whole group that was leaving. I'll see you when you get back. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and that kind of stuff uh, uh, motivated me um, because I, I was like, you know, uh, the thing is, I don't think he was saying it um, out of sarcasm or anything like that. I think he was saying it because he had seen so many come back, 
And uh, maybe that was his way of motivating me not to come back. That's the way I looked at it. I really did. And uh, it worked. I heard you tell a story about that guy that told you, well, I'll see you when you come back. And when you, you made a, a return to Houston one night in the main event, you looked out in the third and row. Yeah, he was. That same wow. CEO. That same CEO. Yeah, he was. Cheer me on. Yeah. It was amazing. That right there... Uh, that it, for him to be cheering me on, maybe, like I say, maybe that was the motivation that he was, you know, uh, maybe that was a tactic that he used to try to make someone like myself think about him saying, I'll see you when you get back. And I'm like, like I say, cause I'm sure he saw so many of them come back. And um, a lot of them, he probably didn't want to see them come back. When, when you, when you were main event, Houston that night. I mean, you had when you're walking through that curtain and you're hearing that music and you're looking around and you're seeing 17,000 people. That had to be a rush. Here I was, you know, 15 years ago, I was behind bars and here I am now. A lot of those people that that were saying I'd never make it, now they're standing up and cheering me. That had to be an experience for you. Yeah, I tell you, um, this business has been an experience for me. Uh, um, Main event and uh, winning the global tag team championship with my brother, you know, and yeah. all, all of my family being there. Uh, yeah, man, uh, this 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 um, business gave me a purpose. It gave me a purpose. Um, it gave me something um, to really live for. Because as a kid, I was never asked, "What do I want to be when I grow up?" I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and professional wrestling was the last thing I thought about <laughs> as, far as, <laughs> as far as a career go being from the neighborhood. But I knew the first time I did it, I tell people all the time, it was like, like deja vu. It's like a place that I had been my whole life. Wow. It's, it was Book. something that came so easy. Look, look, when 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 you were you were young, and I, I know you're you're in a bad, but sports never appealed to you because you're you're a big guy, and you're, of course Stevie Ray's a, a big big guy too. And sports, high school sports, never appealed to you, or it it appealed, um, it appealed to me. But academically, I just uh, you know when you didn't pass, you got pops, you know stuff like that. You know, and I'm like, man, I ain't getting no pops because I know I ain't passing. <laughs> okay, so that, that's out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the real reasons I didn't gravitate to, to sports because it was something that you really had to be disciplined to do. And um, at that time, I didn't have a whole lot of discipline. I didn't have anyone telling me um, that you know I needed to do this or I need to do that. I didn't have anyone telling me, "Hey, man, you got to learn how to do this algebra." You know what I mean? You got to make sure your English. Um, um, you passed that. I didn't, I didn't have anyone telling me, uh, you know, requiring that from me. Um, so that was the last thing I, I was thinking about was academics. Um, I always wished, um, that's why, uh, young kids, I work with young people now. I always wanted that pat on the back and say, man, this is what you need to do. Or, or man, you can do this, you know, and a lot of young kids, that's the only thing that they need to motivate them. Is a pat on the back and to be told you can do this. I never got that. I never had that my whole life. I had to teach myself that I could do this. Yeah, that's that's an amazing thing, Book. I had a kid in one of the programs and literally said, well, I said, what, what problems do we have? And they said, so-and-so is failing a course. And, you know, a single parent home, uh, mother works two jobs. And I said, hey, can you do better in this course? And every couple of weeks he'd come up to me, coach him up to 50, coach him up to 60. You know, and finally he made a 70 something and, and passed the course. 
But the only difference was you had an adult that wanted him, told him, I want you to pass this course. You know, and when a kid doesn't have that, that's something that's really missing. And you don't really, it's something very, very small, um, but it's huge uh, for a kid. Uh, and I remember that I told one of my kids, he was one of my referees and he was really young and I told him, grabbed him, I hugged him and I said, man, you did an awesome job tonight. He started crying, man. His dad was, you know, standing, you know, a few feet away. And I was wondering, man, like his dad probably never told him, you know, he's done a great job. And he hugged him and said, man, awesome. You know, and, and I know because I was that kid and I know, yeah. I, I know, I do know this. Only thing I need was to, a, a pat on the back and to be told, man, I need you to get this done. And I would have did it. I tell people all the time, you know, just say, for instance, you know, the security guard, my brothers, you know, my sisters, they couldn't tell me, you know, they couldn't tell me what I really needed to hear because, you know, you need to hear from someone you, you really respect, you know. Um, and I always say, if Muhammad Ali told me the same thing everybody else was telling me I would that I didn't listen to, I would have listened. <laughs> right. right. I swear to God, wow. if Muhammad Ali would have told me to do it, I would have did it with no problems. And I'm serious because I respect, I respected him so much and I wanted to be like him. And I know if he would have told me to do it, I would have did it. How was it? Well, you got to meet him. I saw a picture of you uh, throwing, throwing, throwing like a a punch at him. uh, Yeah, man. uh, uh, 98. uh, I got a chance to meet Muhammad Ali and uh, I I went to do a a signing for tops. uh, And um, the only reason I really wanted to do the signing was because Muhammad Ali was going to be there. When I got there, he was, a little tired and he had left and they took him to his hotel room and I was a little bummed out and my PR people talked to his PR people and he invited me to his hotel room. And I went to to my hotel room and sat with him for like about 30 minutes and uh, we took photos and talked and uh, it was awesome. Most awesome time I ever had in my life. Um, The only person I ever wanted to be the only person I ever wanted to get an autograph from, from was Muhammad Ali. And, I, and he, he invited me to his hotel room. It's amazing. Wow. It showed right. me um, it doesn't cost you anything to be nice to people. Right. That's cool. Uh, that, that really is. Uh, well, what's, what's the age difference between you and you and uh, you and your brother, Stevie? Uh, six years. Six years. That's about the same. Uh, and, and he was he was kind of your mentor once you got in the business for a few years there until you guys until he kind of stepped aside and said, "All right, Booker, you're you're the guy that's carrying uh, carrying the load in this family now. So do it." And so uh, my brother he, gave me uh, definitely gave me his blessing. Uh, my brother always used to tell me how good I was. You know, he used to always tell me I was better than all those guys in the locker room. Uh, you know, he used to tell me I was prolific and. Uh, I believed him, you know, um, I don't want to make him proud um, because um, I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be in the wrestling business if it wasn't for my brother. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have no knowledge of what this world is all about if it wasn't for him. This, I always tell my people, I'm living my brother's dream. I really am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but he did give me his blessing to go out and be the best I possibly could be. Um, I never thought about, you know, you know, winning championships or anything like that. Not ever, really. All, all, I, all I wanted to be was the best. I just wanted to be the best best guy in the locker room. You know, in WCW, I used to tell all those guys, you know, man, I'm a top five worker in the world, man. I know I'm top five. <laughs> they used to hate me for it, you know what I mean? Uh, but um, 
I wasn't shy about saying it because I knew I had my brother as backup. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. So exactly. So everything went down. Your brother was so freaking big. He still uh, is. He looks yeah, like this, man. You know, so oh always, my God. always had he was a, huge. Always had a security blanket, man, that uh that I had in the business. I never was afraid of anything. That's why I was able to go out and just be me because Always had my brother there watching my back. Um, and um, I always felt safe and secure to just go out and do my thing. And and um, Harlem Heat gave me a chance to actually, you know, shine. And uh, it was an awesome time in my career. Look, how do you see, how do you watch uh, reality of wrestling now? Are you, is there, I know you got a new TV deal, but do you still have the YouTube deal and all that? For we're, on, I'm on YouTube, um, we're on YouTube every week. We um, I post a new show every Sunday. Uh, we're on Right Now TV. Uh, we're on your Roku. Um, if you got Roku TV, all you got to do is punch in Reality of Wrestling. Boom, and it's gonna come right back, come up, come up for you. Um, we're on uh, a lot of CW networks um, as, as well um, across um, certain parts of the country. We're on like fifty networks um, right now, and um, we're marching along. Uh, just trying to make the best out of reality of wrestling we possibly can. We call ourselves the AAA of professional wrestling. We don't want to be WWE. We don't want to be like AEW. We want to be the company uh, that fueled these young guys to get to that next level. Before you get to that next level, you got to stop through reality of wrestling. If you want to learn TV, um, if you want to learn the what not to do's, um, if you want to learn what it takes to make it to that next level, uh, you stop at reality wrestling. So um, that's, that's, that's what we're doing at reality wrestling, man. And uh, we're forging ahead. We're going to pick up um, a CW here in uh, Houston. Um, actually, I got a meeting uh, this week uh, with those guys as well. And, and uh, he's carrying on a wonderful tradition, seeing as how you have the uh, Paul Bosch original ring, but uh, <laughs> still. Yeah, man. Um, I um, have a lot of pride in um, keeping wrestling alive here in the um, Texas area, Houston area. Um, we did a show at Georgia Brown just last Friday night, close to Sam Houston Coliseum's uh, old stomping grounds. And, um, you know, it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, Paul Bosch is one of those promoters that you're not going to hear any wrestler have anything bad to say about Paul Bosch. And um, I walk in his footsteps. I want to I want to hopefully one day live up to, um, you know, the man that he was. And uh, hopefully I can do that one day. Book, I cannot tell you uh, how excited I was when Gerald, Gerald said, Gerald actually reached out to you and said, got you on the show, because I'm so proud of you. I look up to you. I look over to you because you're my friend also. But uh, two kids who started out together at the Sportatorium and we're still talking and we're still having fun and still friends. And that's that's a that's pretty cool. I, I really uh, enjoy this uh, friendship that we have. To the end, bro. To the end. Man. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 Booker, I'd like to add, you know, uh, being on the office side of it, you always look for leadership, uh, you know, in the, in the back, uh, back of the room there behind the curtains there. And uh, you're one of those guys, I mean, that that you were a leader, but you didn't have to go around boasting or sticking your chest out or, or, or being a boss or anything like that. People just looked at you. What's Booker doing? I mean, how how Booker handling this situation? And and it, to me, you you were the mo- one of the most humble leaders that we ever had passing through during my thirty six years in WWE. I appreciate our friendship so much. I was so thrilled when I got that text. I'd be glad to be on your show. And uh, 
I, I texted John immediately, and he would he would I could see him doing cartwheels through the damn phone there. So we appreciate your time, man. And, and, and reality of wrestling, folks, check it out. I mean, it, it's 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 wrestling the way wrestling should be, and, and it's brought to you by that man that we're talking to now, Mister Booker T. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Mr. B. Always uh, much respect. Always much respect and much love. And um, you always treated me good, man. I really appreciate that. I had no other choice. <laughs> <laughs>